Thank you for tuning in to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. You're about to hear a live sermon, which was recorded at our 11 a.m. contemporary service. We are thrilled to share it with you. Thank you for listening. We are continuing this morning through the Gospel of Matthew. We've been working our way through since Advent. We're going to take this all the way to Easter, so we're going to know Matthew really well when it's all said and done. This morning, we are in chapter 5, but before we look at our scripture, let's go to God in prayer. Let's pray. Holy God, we give you thanks because you do love us, and you love us in a way that overwhelms us. And so, God, as we turn now to these words where you continue to, to speak your love into our lives, God, we pray that we would know you better that the words that are read are your words, the words that are spoken are your words, the words that are heard, God, may they be your words. And may this encounter with you be so powerful that we cannot walk away unchanged. In your holy name we pray, amen. We're gonna look at the fifth chapter of the the Gospel of Matthew. I'm gonna start at verse 13 and read through verse 16. I would invite you to listen now for the word of the Lord. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything but thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I suspect that probably these images of being salt and light are not new images for you. Even outside of scripture, we tell people to be salt and light, to go out and be good things in the world. At least we use the image of light We use that image a lot. We get why that one is really important, light in the darkness. Graduation cards all through Hallmarks talk about how important it is that as you graduate and go into the world that you be a light. There's inspirational posters in every classroom in America to shine brightly in all that you do. Even Facebook is full of internet memes that remind us that our inner light is more than anyone can diminish. We love the light analogies, and we use those a lot. But salt. Salt is not an analogy we use very often. We don't often think about being salt, actually. Matter of fact, if someone tells you you are being salty, that is not a compliment. They're probably telling you you're mean or annoying or you're agitated somehow. We don't don't often say, oh, I hope I'm salty today. However, I want to make a case that I think we're underselling salt. I read somewhere that salt has caused more wars than gold. Now, I don't have any idea if that's actually true. I read it on Wikipedia, but... I do know that salt has been very vital. It's played a very valuable role all throughout history. Sometimes salt was even traded as currency. Matter of fact, I learned in the first service that because salt was traded as currency, the word salt is where the word salary comes from. 
Salt has played a prominent role in determining the power and the location of some of the world's greatest cities. Matter of fact, Britain uses the suffix which so that people will know where those cities of salt were. So cities like Norwich and Sandwich, those are places where salt had been found, where the resource abounded, and they wanted people to know this is a place where we have resources and power and influence. It's a place of salt. Salt has created empires, it's destroyed empires, it's played a major influence in, in the outcome of wars, and of course, the most important thing, it is delicious. Salt is yummy, it adds flavor, it preserves our food. Salt is a critical substance. It's really, really important. And so when we read this passage then of Jesus saying that we are salt and light, it's really important that when we hear that, that Jesus, what Jesus is telling us, it's kind of a big deal. Because he's not saying you're some sort of trite, overused internet meme or that you're a cheap substance that puts you at a greater risk for heart attack. What Jesus is saying is, this is really important. Matter of fact, Jesus is drawing on that which would have had the most value in his time. So when Jesus says, you are salt and you are light, what Jesus is saying is, you are the most valuable resource of the day. And that, that's impressive. It's humbling. Of all the things that Jesus could have called us and we deserve to be called, Jesus chose to call us salt and light. Jesus chose to label us as valuable and necessary, the most important resource of the day. It's also really important as we reflect on this passage to remember where we are in scripture, to really look at the context of the text. We're reading in the Sermon on the Mount. Jeff introduced us to the Sermon on the Mount last week. So if you missed his sermon last week, I would love for you to go back and listen to that. And actually, as we work our way through the sermon, any of them that you miss, I would urge you to go in and listen to all of them so that you can really deal with the sermon as a whole, the power of the message that Jesus had. So Jesus, so many people have gathered around to hear Jesus that he goes up onto the mountainside to deliver this sermon. It has become what we now label as Jesus's most famous sermon. So he goes up on this mountain and he has these important things to say and the first words that Jesus utters in his sermon, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. And he begins to work his way through the Beatitudes that, G that Jeff shared with us last week. And every place that he mentions, those who mourn, those who are poor in spirit, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus works his way through all of these places that are difficult, where we feel vulnerable, where we feel our humanity at its realest. Jesus labels all of these places and what Jesus says in those Beatitudes is in those places where you are the most vulnerable and human, in those places, I am with you. That is where I'm going to meet you. So when we are vulnerable and human, there is where Jesus has come alongside of us. That's what he tells us in the Beatitudes. So that is what Jesus has just finished saying. And then the next thing he says to all of the people gathered, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. 
And he goes on to say, let your light shine so that all may give glory to your father in heaven. What Jesus is telling us is that in our most basic and human and vulnerable ways, that we are to come alongside of others in their most basic and human and vulnerable ways. Jesus said, I just got done telling you all of the ways that I am coming alongside of you, that I am showing you the love of God and being with you in those places. And so now you go be salt and light, come alongside of people in their difficult and vulnerable and human places. And when you do that, When you do that, you are demonstrating the love of God that we have seen in Christ Jesus. That this call to be salt and light, it is is a call to all of us who identify ourselves as part of God's people. It's a call for all of us to be valuable and necessary to the world. A valuable resource in a way that makes a difference in, in the world. It makes a difference in who the world is makes an impact and it changes the world so that the world is a reflection of who God is and who God calls us to be. Salt and light, necessary and valuable. At the beginning, or as the Second World War was beginning, Hitler had defeated France and had turned his eyes on Britain both in the battles at sea and the battles on the land or in the air. I mean, Hitler had been unsuccessful in defeating the royal army. And so he decided to change his tactic. And instead of the attacks on the sea and the attacks in the air, he was going to reign sheer terror in the land. And so Germany began what is now known as the Blitz. And for 57 days straight, Hitler rained bombs down on Britain. His goal, to cause chaos, to cause trauma, to cause the people to turn against one another. But that is not what happened. In spite of the trauma and the detriment both to the people and to the land, terror did not ensue. The people didn't press Churchill to sue for peace. They didn't call for him to surrender. There wasn't mass chaos through the land. Matter of fact, one of the reports that I read said that not once in those 57 days were the police called to deal with chaos in a bomb shelter. But the reports that I did read indicated that people were looking out for one another. They were caring for one another. They were willing to give and protect and provide for one another. They were saying to one another in your deepest need, in your most basic and vulnerable and human form, I'm going to come alongside of you and be with you. And of course, we know that Jesus was with them as well. They were salt and they were light. And we know this. We get to see this. Friends, this is what we do. We, we see through all of these traumatic events that we now experience now, post 9-11, post Katrina, post all kinds of detrimental events, we still get to see that there are really beautiful and amazing people who step up to come alongside of people in these basic and vulnerable times. And we are grateful because we can see that there are people who are good and kind and faithful. There are people who are salt and light. And we give thanks. But here's the thing. Once the trauma is over, once the dust has settled and we we don't feel like we're in the middle of the trauma anymore, 
Psychologists say that our altruism doesn't continue. Gradually, we just go back to being regular people, regular people who get super annoyed at the people that don't use their turn signal on 285, regular people who get super annoyed with those people who try and sneak 37 items in on the express lane in the grocery store, regular people who just get irritated when we feel like someone has wronged us, whether it's in a small way or a big way. When the immediacy of the emergency wears off, we no longer feel the urgency to stand with other people in their vulnerable times. And that is exactly where the hearers of the Sermon on the Mount find themselves. See, at the end of the Old Testament, the Israelites had been exiled by the Babylonians. The Babylonians had conquered the land and sent all of the Israelites out. By the time we pick up at the beginning of Matthew, they've all been able to come back to the land, but see, now the Roman Empire is ruling the land. So they're marching around, keeping their eye on things, controlling the government, controlling the taxes. It has been a long, long time since Israel has been their own land. Certainly the urgency of the emergency has worn off, but the fallout of the trauma is still very real. And people have chosen to deal with it in all kinds of ways. There's some people, the zealots, and, and they want to fight back. They want to fight the powers. But some people, the Pharisees, they want to retreat. They want to dive deep into their own private Bible study and devotion. It was a way, they thought, if we just hold tight to our cultural and religious identity as a people of God, then we'll be well-preserved and when the kingdom comes, we will be already. Matter of fact, maybe if we keep ourselves so well-preserved, maybe the kingdom of God will come sooner. If we separate ourselves from others, they thought, and we hold tight to the religious and purity laws, then surely that will bring about the kingdom of God and the occupation of Israel would end. But then we get to Matthew and we get to the Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus is saying there is, no, no, that, that isn't what I said at all. Don't hide in your laws and in your own self-righteousness and demand for the kingdom of co to come. No, no, I'm here with you, Jesus said. I am here with you in your most basic and human places. I have come to be with you. And what that means is that the kingdom of God has come and I don't want you to separate yourselves. Actually, I want you to go out and be salt and light. I want you to do this. I want you to go out and sit with people in their vulnerable and difficult places. I need you to be necessary and valuable. You are the resources to, to bring in God's kingdom, to live it out in a way that, that we are demonstrating the love of God through Jesus Christ, that people will know that the kingdom has come because of the way you are loving and caring for one another, sitting with people in their vulnerable places. Jesus said, I need you to be salt and light. And certainly one of the greatest examples we have seen of someone being salt and light in vulnerable times where many would love to have moved past the urgency was through the life and work of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. King continued to call for nonviolent action and that call literally changed the world. Where there was a mighty and powerful wall of segregation, 
king insisted that the power of love could bring it down. He called people over and over again to be faithful. And when King was pressed by the white community to move towards more violent action, King insisted that being salt and light was not about demonstrating power over others, but by showing radical love. In one of his most famous sermons, King declared to his listeners, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. King modeled so beautifully what it means to be salt and light. And because of his faithfulness, laws were changed. People were changed. The world was changed because he modeled salt and light. Now I'm wondering if you're thinking, there is no way that I am Martin Luther King Jr. I barely got myself to church this morning. I'm certainly not spending hours in prayer and devotion, and I don't think I've ever marched for love or fairness or inclusion. Jesus might say that we need to be salt and light, but I've got to tell you that even on my best day, it is quite a stretch for me to achieve a mild glow. But this, this is what I want you to hear. This is what I want you to see in the scripture Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. I want you to hear how powerful that statement is. Jesus didn't say, oh, you are so close. If you just try a little bit harder, I know you can do it. He didn't say, you know what? I've, if you just follow this list perfectly, then you'll be the light of the world and it'll be totally fine. That's not what he said at all. Jesus made this declarative statement. He said, you are the salt of the world and you are the light of the world. And he spoke these words. He spoke them over his hearers. He spoke them over us. He spoke them into our very lives because they're truth. And, and he speaks this truth into us. And even though we are, oh, we're trying so hard to do it and we mess it up, we mess it up daily, we mess it up hourly, we mess it up all the time. But Jesus says, I have declared you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And in the same way that I came and sat with you in your vulnerable, human, difficult places, it is your job then to go out and do that with others because a new thing has happened. Jesus has come. The kingdom of God has come. And so we love each other in a radical way that makes a difference in who we are and who we have called to be in the world. Jesus has come. The kingdom has come and we are valuable and we are necessary and we are the most important resource of the day for showing this world what the light and salt of God looks like. You might not think that you are salt or light, but Jesus has spoken these words into your life. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. When I was a senior in high school, one of my very best friends somehow got some very rare disease and experienced liver failure. The good news was that she was a candidate for a liver transplant and received one and everything was working quite well until the week of graduation, when her new liver wasn't functioning correctly and was beginning to fail as well. 
I can still tell you about that graduation when I'm standing in the room gathering together and I can't find my friend and I asked the advisor, where is she? And the advisor told me, she's not doing well, she's not coming today. And so 18-year-old Lindsay Lee marched into what is supposed to be this one of the most celebratory days of your life with tears streaming down my eyes because I was so worried for the life of my friend. And we got in and I sat down in my seat and I'm sitting next to Tammy Kay. Now, Tammy and I had like a class together, I think, some point in high school. I didn't really know her. We didn't run in the same social circles, but we knew who, we knew each other, who we were. And so I'm sitting and I'm, there's tears. And Tammy Kay reached over and grabbed my hand. I didn't know Tammy, but in that moment, Tammy was sitting with me in my difficult and human and vulnerable place in a way that demonstrated to me what salt and light looked like. That is what we are called to do. That's who we're called to be. And you know what? A couple weeks later, when we found out that our friend was doing well and she was going to be happy and healthy and live a long life, we celebrated together as well. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So who is God calling you to go and be with in their difficult and human place? And you know what? If you feel like God's calling you to be with somebody you don't like, then all the better. It's definitely God. <laughs> go, go this week and listen for the movement of the Spirit to sit with someone in their difficult and human place. Because what if the church really was faithful at this? What a difference the church would make in a world. And how much better would we reflect the love of our God? You are the salt and the light, valuable and necessary. Let's pray. Dear God, we give you thanks because for whatever reason you have chosen to use us to make an impact in the world. And so God, help us to be bold and faithful and humble as we go out Lord, demonstrating your saltiness and your lightness. God, may people know you better because of the way that you use us. In your holy name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the RPC Sermon Series podcast. If you'd like more info about Roswell Presbyterian Church, check out our website at roswellpres.org.